Good morning and welcome to this edition of Sunday with the Rev. Hope everyone is doing fine. This is Reverend Matt. It's wonderful to have you all here today. So first, let's get to the business at hand, okay? The elephant in the room, okay? <laughs> Where have I been? So I want to thank first I want to thank many of you uh, who have texted me or who have instant messaged me and even emailed me asking where have you been are you okay what's happening what's going on one thing that i promised from the very beginning of this podcast or these sermons was that unless the lord inspired me i wasn't just going to come on here and make stuff up i wanted to i wanted to do studying i wanted to make sure that i understood what was being read that the lord was giving me the knowledge that the lord was giving me the understanding of these things so, last few weeks, I really haven't gotten that. The Lord speaking to me in a way that's basically said, well, this isn't the time for you to go on. And I just haven't recorded. There have been other, some other instances. We had a family, mem- uh, family, excuse me, family friend who passed away recently that um, I officiated over the funeral on. We've had some other uh, um, things going on in the family. But the most reason why is, again, is my whole fact that I'm not going to come on here and and just ramble on about nothing unless I really think that I understand it and that's just the way it's going to be. So with that being said, before we get started today, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you today, Lord, for just all that we have in your wonderful and precious and loving name. Thank you, dear Father and God, that you inspire us, Lord, with your message, with your word, with with the Bible, which is your word, which is the word that you pen through other men to be able to reach your people. Well, I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we have the ministry of the 12 apostles. The ministry, Lord, that they went out into the world and they upturned the world. They turned it upside down with the preachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for just all the wonderful things that you are, for your love and your peace and your compassion, just for everything. Lord, we also want to pray today, today, as we people are going through this uh, Hurricane Henry, we ask, Lord, that you please protect people, Lord, protect those people, Lord, in its path. Please give them safety. Please help them, Lord, if, if they need it. I pray, Lord, please. And we pray this in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen. So today is... August 22nd, 2021, and as you just heard me praying, we have Hurricane Henry uh, is out there, and Hurricane Henry is kind of ravaging the East Coast right now, where I live in Rhode Island here. A lot of strong winds and a lot of um, tree branches falling down and basically telling to stay inside. So we want, you know, let's remember to pray for the people right now that are, that have actually are being really impacted by Henry as it's, as it's now coming to land as a landfall and it's starting to uh, affect people really in a, in a negative way. And we also want to say, pray for those people too that right now have been going through some tough times as well, that, that, that have lost loved ones because of this hurricane. And for those that have been devastated by it, we pray for them as well. I want to quickly, when we talk about that, I want to, I want to quickly talk about prayer real quick. And we've talked about prayer before, but I want a, a little story that I heard that I thought was kind of um, amusing, but it's a story that's kind of old. You've probably all heard it before, but it talks about, you know, pride, and it talks about you know prayer and 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 when to know the difference of the two, and to when to know when the Lord God is actually sending you help. So there's you know the the story goes from goes where there's a, an, an elderly man and woman, the white husband and wife, and they're in their home, and and the storm is coming, and the patrol comes to their home and says, hey, you might want to leave, you're in his path, and you might want to get out of here, and they say, oh no, the Lord, we pray to the Lord, and the Lord is going to uh, protect us. Next day comes by, the storm hits, it's really bad, and, and they come, patrol comes to their house again and says, hey, folks, you come on, we got to get you out of here. No, no, we prayed, and God's going to protect us. A couple hours later, the water's rising up to their, gets into their basement. The patrol comes by again and says, hey, come on, you got to get out of here. We're going to get you out of here. Nope, nope, nope. God's going to protect us. We're, we're safe. We prayed and we're good. A little bit later, a couple hours later, the water now is on their, on their first floor. They've moved up to the second floor of the house. The patrol comes by again and, and says, hey, come on, we're going to get you out of here. Let's go. 
Nope, nope, we're good. We prayed. God's going to protect us. By the and nighttime now comes, and now the water has the water has is now to the top of their house. They're out the tip roof of their house, and the patrol comes by in a boat, a rowboat, and says, "Come on, get in! Come on, get in! You're, we got to get you out of here." No, 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 we're good. God, we prayed, and God's going to protect us. Unfortunately, the couple, the water goes, the storm gets bad. Unfortunately, the couple they they die. And they get to heaven, and the couple goes to heaven. They get through the gates, and they're a little bit upset. And they they say, "We want to talk to." The man, you know, and they go and they see they see God and they say, "Hey God, you know, what's going on here? We trusted in you. We had faith in you. We prayed to you. We 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 did everything we were supposed to do, and 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 yet you still kind of let us down." And God looks at him and says, "I'm kind of confused. The first time I sent the patrol to pick you up, you wouldn't go. The second time, the third time, the fourth time, and even the last time I sent them with the boat, and you still wouldn't go." <laughs> so. You know, the moralist thing here is when you when you look at this, the Lord God is, you know, prideful at times. When, you know, we, we, we sometimes try to, you know, hide or, or not want the help of others. And we use God as, as the excuse in that at times. When in reality, God is there for you and God is sending you help. But it's help that he's sending you might be in other people. And it might be in other things, in other ways. So today as you're battling, those who are battling the storm, just remember that any help is coming your way. Don't be too prideful on it. Accept the help that people offer you. Because it very well could be help that God is sending your way. Well, let's, let's continue. So basically today what I wanted to do was I wanted to get into the last part of our series, Why I Believe the Bible is Real. Last part of the series here. So... We talked about why the Bible is real. We've mentioned other great uh, 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 people in the Bible. We've mentioned, of course, we've talked about Moses. We've talked about, uh, you know, King Saul and King David. And we've talked about, you know, how these people, uh, you know, how they were really weren't the greatest of heroes in the Bible. Things that happened, they just weren't really the greatest. Like, you know, not necessarily people you really want to write about. When you're trying to write a bestseller. But the Bible constantly, constantly uses men and women. Constantly uses men and women that you might not feel really are the hero of the story. But uses them in that way. And a lot of times for me, it proves to me that the Bible is, is real, what it says. Because why would it use men and women like that? Why wouldn't have you? Why wouldn't it have used men and women of the day and really built them up to be these wonderful, uh, just heroes of the day? Why focus on any of the negatives? Why focus on the fact that King David, who was a great king, don't get me wrong, but why focus on the fact that King David committed murder, that King David committed adultery? Why? Why would we focus on that fact? Why would we focus on the fact that his you know, King David's, you know, before him, King Saul, who, you know, why focus on the fact that King Saul disobeyed God? Why focus on the fact that King Saul hated David, even though David was God's next chosen person for the kingdom? Why focus on these facts? Why? Why focus on the people of Israel, of all the negative they did? Why focus on the fact that after everything that God did, when he took them out of the land of Egypt, after, you know, 400 years of their being slaves, he took them out of there and showed them all these wondrous things when they crossed the desert. And when they finally got to the place that God promised to give them, they basically said, we don't want to go in there because we're afraid. And because of that, they basically stay roamed around the desert for 40 years until that generation died out and the next generation came in. Why focus on that? Why focus on a people that were that way? Why didn't we why focus on a people that also decided that when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments and he was gone for a period of time, 40 days, right? They decided that they no longer wanted to worship this God that they saw do these miraculous things. They wanted now Aaron and, and to the high priest at the time to create a golden calf. And Aaron, who, you know, again, another person here that goes and does what the people say to do, and he helps them and creates them a golden calf that they worship. Why? It's a, the Bible is just amazing to me. There's, there's so many other things in the Bible. I think one time somebody had said to me in the Bible, and we're not going to get into this 
today. That might be another day for another topic for another day. Some of the harder things of the Bible. But I remember somebody said to me a long time ago when I was talking about the Bible to them. Well, they said to me, well, you know what? I've read the Bible, especially the Old Testament. And God really, to me, is the biggest mass murderer in the world. And he's, he's so evil himself. And I was a little bit taken aback at the time. But when I asked them, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? And, there, and, the, and the response was, well, if you look back in the Old Testament, he had people, you know, he had uh, whole tribes, whole nations destroyed, wiped out, men, women, and children, animals, everything. You know, why would he have done that? And there's, there's reasons for that, and like I said, I'm not going to get into that. But again, why would you put that in a Bible? Why would you put that kind of stuff in a book if you really wanted to sell that book? Why would you really want to do that? Why would you put information like that? And these are the questions I always say to everybody. Why, 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 why? <laughs> okay, so today we're going to focus on, we're going to finish up this series, actually. We're going to focus on the 12 apostles and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, these, these 12 men plus the Lord Jesus Christ of having them in, in this book proves to me how true the Bible is and how real that it is. Okay? So let's get started. Let's, let's read chapter... Let's go into Matthew chapter 10, starting from the verse, first verse to the fourth verse. And this is basically the Lord, the Lord God basically sending out the 12 apostles, but let's talk about this. So Jesus called his 12 disciples to gather and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Here are the names of the 12. First, Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James's brother, also a son of Zebedee, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and then Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed Jesus. So here we have the twelve; these twelve men, right? And really, to be honest with you, these are twelve, you know, twelve ordinary men. 12 ordinary men. Nothing really specific about them that, that was any, had any type of, made them great in that day. And I'm sure in that day in the first century when the Lord Jesus was around, I'm sure there were many great people that could have been, God could have used instead. But instead he used these 12 men. And it's interesting too, that it's interesting as well that if you look at the Bible, not a lot is mentioned of the professions of these men. And as a matter of fact, there's some, for some of the 12, there's not really much mentioned about them at all. You have your main players in here. You have your main players, Peter, you know, again, his, you know, his brother, Andrew, James and John. You had Matthew, the tax collector, which you're a lot of, which, which by the way, is, is who I'm named after. A little bit is known about Simon uh, the Zealot. And then, of course, a lot about Judas Iscariot. But I mean, when you take a look at Philip or Bartholomew, Thomas, other than the fact that they refer to him as Doubting Thomas, Thaddeus, James, you know, even Simon, there's not a lot mentioned about them in the Bible. Not a lot mentioned about them in the Bible. One day we'll probably we'll do a little bit of a more of a talk about the apostles and the disciples, and you know, for instance, more about them more about how they died and things like that. That would be something I'd like to do in the future. But today we're talking about these men, again, that were ordinary men that really proves the Bible is really, is real because why use these men? All right. Well, first of all, let's take a look first at some of the first few. Let's take a look at Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Now we know that these men were fishermen. We know that because the Bible tells us they were called Simon and Andrew were, were called, John, James and John were fishing with their father uh, Zebedee, and they were called to follow me. They got up and left their father. We know the same with same, again, Simon or Peter and Andrew again, two brothers fishing that the Lord called them and they went. Okay, We know again that Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was, um, had, you know, again, uh, was well known for, for, was well known and hated by the Jews because of that fact. Simon, they call him the zealot. Okay, so what was a zealot? A zealot was a sect, or a zealot was a group that basically they were known for not paying their taxes, and they were known for murdering foreign leaders and soldiers of the Romans. They were the zealots were known to go against everything that was Rome, and they committed some horrible, 
Acts. And of course, as we said, we know about Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, who really was the, he was kind of in the group. He was the, the money man or the treasurer. So he probably had some, it doesn't say really much about him. He probably had some, um, some knowledge of money since he was a treasurer. But he was a thief and obviously the betrayer of Christ. Again, you're looking at, you know, Simon and Peter, Andrew and John, fishermen, a low trade. It wasn't a trade that was highly respected. It was much like the, when the Lord Jesus was born, and who was it that the Lord Jesus first appeared, excuse me, who was it that the angels first appeared to when the Lord Jesus was born? Who was it? He first appeared, the angels first appeared to shepherds in their fields. Shepherds were even lower than, considered lower than even fishermen. It was a low trade. But yet God chose, to, the angels, or God chose to reveal this, his son to them first, to the shepherds. Of course, symbolic meaning there too, that, that the Lord Jesus is the great shepherd, of course. But he show, the Lord God chose to do that. Even the Lord Jesus himself, who we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes, and we're going to go over this again, was born a lowly stage in a manger. Okay? Here, here were a bunch of men that were, again, ordinary men that were used by God, yes, to do great things. Yes, they changed the world. Yes, they did. But were they really men that you wanted to talk about? I mean, let, let's, let's think about this. The Lord Jesus, during his three-year ministry, as these 12 men followed him around, constantly in the Bible would ask them questions and constantly would say to them, you of little faith would constantly make that mention to them constantly like they just weren't getting it and here's these men here's here's matthew and john two writers of the gospels the only two gospel writers that were apostles that were that were part of the 12 are writing about themselves and even saying in there that hey yeah yeah we weren't that smart were we you know here was peter who at one point you think hey he got it at other points he just didn't get it you know, just some. You know, just didn't get it at sometimes. And Peter yet was the leader of this band of the twelve. Many times the Lord told them about his crucifixion and his death, and many times, again, they just didn't get it. Even the night that the Lord, the Last Supper the night before the Lord Jesus was crucified, as they celebrated the Last Supper together, the last meal together, even then when the Lord told them what was going to happen, they still were confused and didn't understand. Even when the Lord said to them in the midst of them, even after he said a few times earlier that he would, the Son of Man would be betrayed, they still didn't get it when Judas got up and left. Even when the Lord gave them such a sign where he said, I'll dip my bread, and he who I give my, the, the bread to will betray me and even when he did that the disciples still thought Simon was going out I mean excuse me Simon Judas was going out to do something to maybe to get something else they still didn't understand they didn't get it fishermen and God chose Peter a fisherman to lead the twelve Matthew again who I'm named after tax collector Re reviled by the Jews. Tax collectors were not the nicest people. They were evil in what they did. Basically, they were they were Jews themselves, but they collected the taxes from the people, and not only would they collect the mandatory tax, but they would also collect a little bit more and keep some for themselves. The Romans didn't care. They got their their pound of flesh. So they would take more than was what was to be taxed. And the people, the Jewish people, would be in would be living in poverty because of these tax collectors. Here's another man that was reviled by them. As a matter of fact, most likely the even the other apostles probably reviled, uh, hated him as well. I mean, think about it. They probably weren't too thrilled when God had asked them to become part of the twelve, especially Simon the Zealot. <laughs> Simon the Zealot, zealots wouldn't were, and it's the only case to say that they would not favor these tax collectors who collected money from the people to, uh, and gave it to the Romans and under the Roman uh, Roman authority 
collected more money than what they deserve to collect. As I mentioned earlier, Simon the Zealot, being a zealot, did not pay taxes. Did not give taxes his money to the Romans and fought with them considerably. And again, they were known to murder foreign leaders and soldiers. So it's only safe to say that most likely Thomas, uh, excuse me, Simon probably wasn't all that thrilled with Matthew. And maybe vice versa. I don't know. But God chose him. So again, here you have these 12 men. And here you have someone like, like Matthew who was reviled by the Jewish people, by his own people, who God still called in there. Why would you use someone like that? Why would you use, why would you use someone in your story for that purpose? And God did. I mean, I mean, God did. And as a matter of fact, not even did not even say God did, but even as a matter of fact, Matthew wrote one of the books of the gospel. One of the gospel accounts is from Matthew. From Matthew. Which is amazing to which that's just amazing to me, honestly. Here were men also that when the time came that the Lord Jesus was going to be crucified, they just had supper with him, the last meal with him. They, I, you know, I, it was probably a solemn night, obviously, because, again, they might not have known what was going on, but we know the Lord Jesus certainly knew what was going on. The Lord Jesus, you know, did some amazing things that night where he basically, you know, we, we, we get our communion from the Lord Jesus, where, he, where we, we do it in remembrance of him, where we break the bread in his, as his broken body, remember what he went through on the cross as we, as we drink the wine, um, as remembrance of the blood that was shed for us. We also get that night too where the Lord Jesus also went and he washed the feet of, the, of all the disciples, washed all their feet, and told them that even the masters must serve the servant and vice versa. So, they go through this whole experience and still didn't get it. As a matter of fact, when the Lord Jesus said to them that they were going to have this, um, that he was going to be betrayed and that he was going to die, Peter jumped up and said, not, not on your life. Not on your life. He said, I'll protect you. And we all know the story where the Lord Jesus said to him, tonight, Peter, I tell you that you will betray me three times. Uh, you will betray me three times before the rooster crows. So here's these men that really just don't know what's going on. Lord Jesus then takes them to the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord Jesus takes a few of his, a few of them, uh, you know, Peter and, and, and John and Jamie takes them up there to the, with him in the garden, up a little further from the other apostles. The Lord Jesus tells them to wait there while he goes and he prays. He goes and he prays. And while he's praying up there, the Lord Jesus is so devastated of what's going to happen to himself that he is need of for his friends and he goes and he goes back to them and he finds them sleeping and he and he and he chastises them for sleeping and says, Can't you stay up a little bit longer while I suffer like I do? He goes back up to pray again, comes back later, finds them sleeping again. At that time here come the Roman soldiers with Judas, uh, and the Lord Jesus said, My time is at hand. But here you are, friends of his most inner circle, still not getting what's happening to the Lord Jesus. Still not getting it. Still just having a hard time understanding what's happening here. Okay? With him. And they still... And that pours over to the next day. The next day comes... Well, really the morning, a little bit later, comes. The Lord Jesus is arrested that same time. Arrested. His, one of his trusted in, uh, 12 betrays him with a kiss for 30 pieces of silver. The Lord Jesus then taken as arrested, goes through the whole process, and then is crucified, right? And all this is going on. While this is happening, all the apostles, including Peter, have now be left him and taken off for fear. Everything is falling apart for these guys now. This 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 man that they thought was really it, now he's been arrested into the authority of the Roman of the, of the of the well the, the Sanhedrin, which then later to later then to the Romans and back to Sanhedrin again. But but he would basically the Lord uh, these men found that everything they had, everything they thought he was, was crumbling and falling apart. And again, even after everything they saw, after everything the Lord Jesus told them was going to happen, after all the accounts, what he said to them, they still didn't get it. They still went in hiding. And that in hiding basically stayed for, they actually stayed in hiding for quite a while until after the Lord Jesus' resurrection where he finally came to them 
and showed them who they were, which leads a show, excuse me, she showed him who he was, that he really was risen from the dead and told them that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And that's when things changed, but that's, that's for another day. But that's when things changed. But that also leads me up to this last part here of Thomas. Thomas, doubting Thomas, got his name because he still doubted. So much like the rest of the apostles, Thomas was a doubter as well. Didn't really understand what was going on. Was fearful, was scared. During all that was happening to Lord Jesus, they all left. All his friends were all left him and gone. Lord Jesus rises from the dead, shows himself to the apostles a few times. And, the, and, the, and Thomas, who wasn't there, doesn't believe them, chastises his friends. No, no, I don't believe it until I see him. Put my hand, my finger in the, in the holes in his hand. Put my hand, my whole hand in his side where the spear speared him. And the Lord Jesus shows up. And, poor, and then he tells Thomas, here, here I am, Thomas. And here, here's the, here, put your fingers there. Put your hand here. And then Thomas believes. I mean, if you're going to write something about people, if you're going to write something about people, why are you going to put this negative stuff about them in here? Why do people have to know that these guys were like that, that they went and hide, they betrayed him, they took off, they left? Why? Why? That they were weak. They had fear after all they had seen. I mean, these men had an opportunity that we don't have. Okay, and you know, and the Lord Jesus even says it. He even says to Thomas, he says, you know, he says, you know, when, when Thomas, that happened with Thomas, he says to him, for you ha you believe and you have seen. Bless those who, who believe who have not seen. I mean, the Lord, I mean, you had the apostles who were there for the, for the three years of the ministry of Jesus. They saw so many miracles. Water changed to wine and the best wine ever. 5,000 people. Probably that number was even more than that fed on, on a couple of uh, loaves of bread and a few fish. Men, uh, men and women healed constantly, healed of their afflictions. Raised men, children, raised from the dead at the command of Christ. Demons exercised from people at the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ even at one time sent his disciples out into the world. We just read it. He sent them out for them to do to do his ministry while he was still alive. He sent them out. And the disciples, there's a part where we do know the disciples went out and they were able to do some things and some things they weren't able to do. Some things were too hard because of their faith. And they came back and told the Lord Jesus and, and the Lord Jesus, you know, and said to them, you know, here, you know, you what is wrong with you guys? You know, I, I you went out on my authority and yet you still were not able to do certain things and you know there were certain things they couldn't do there were certain demons they couldn't screw up uh, couldn't exercise again because of their really lack of faith in some things you know so we have these men again that really were maybe not the best subjects that you want to use to write about in the bible but yet, they did. Yet, God did. Yet, they were used. These men were used for that purpose. Ordinary men were used for that purpose. Now, we know, going forward, and I guess the argument people could have with me is, with, with everything that I have said here, I think the, with, the, with this whole series, that people can argue me, of course, to say, well, God used these men, yes, but then later on, these men became great, so it was just the way that God showed that all these men, you know, the, 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 their failings, their losses, the negatives about them were all used really to show that these men became great later on. And yes, you can argue that with me. Of course you can. Of course you can. But I would seem to differ with you. Why do all that? Why go through the whole process of all these people that we've spoken about in this series and go through this whole process if we could have just put all the good stuff in there and shortened everything up a little bit? <laughs> just put the good stuff in there. Make them look really good. And that wasn't what happened here. Especially with the disciples. Now, let's finish this series up with, I think, the biggest person in the Bible of our Lord Jesus. The one person that was used in the Bible that, yes, the whole Bible is about the Lord Jesus. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, the whole Bible is about the Lord Jesus. Yes, it is. 
But here, but here again was a man that came and changed things because of things that he said and that he did. Some of you might remember that a couple weeks ago when, when I talked about the Lord Jesus in, a couple, in other sermons, I said that the Lord Jesus had a lot of followers up until the point that he came out and said that when he pretty much kind of compared himself to God and he said that if you follow God, if you look see me, then you see him as well. And pretty much at that time, and when he talked about forgiveness of sins through him, a lot of his followers kind of left. The ones that really weren't in there kind of left. Okay. But but one thing that we do want to talk about real quickly are two other people real quickly, are two other parts of, of Jesus' ministry as well that, that Lord Jesus used. Go back to a time also of other followers of the Lord Jesus too. Okay. Who else did the Lord Jesus in, in the Bible also write about that at that time probably weren't the most... Uh, well, obviously, we're, no, they weren't the most thought of at all. I mean, they were even, as far as people were concerned, women were even lower than even even fishermen and even tax collectors and even, let's say, uh, uh, shepherds. It was unthought of to put a, uh, have to have women in any type of a, of a role of leadership or anything. Nevertheless, talk about them or put them in something. And yet the Lord Jesus mentioned women. I mean, the Lord God used Mary, one of the greatest of all biblical women in the Bible, to have our Lord Jesus Christ. To birth our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can go back and we can look at Old Testament. We can look at... And I could have talked about them too. I could have talked about Ruth. You know, I could, I could have talked about Esther. I could have gone back and, and done all that. I could have had them in here as well. Maybe I should have. But we could talk about also like about Mary Magdalene and Martha, her sister. Okay? The women God the, the Bible specifically shows that the Lord Jesus Christ was different from all others because he treated women as equals. He treated them as equals. Okay, you take a look again at Paul, St. Paul the Apostle, who we've talked about before, St. Paul, another one. As I mentioned in earlier sermons, St. Paul was one who was used by the Romans, uh, or by the Jews, excuse me, the Sanhedrin was used by the Jewish leaders to go and find Christians and have them killed. And we talked about Paul, who used to be Saul, was so good at it that he never once ever threw a stone or ever once killed a Jew, but he had everybody else do it for him while he held their coats, and they did it. The first martyr, Stephenus, talks about it. This young man, this young Jewish leader, Saul, who was on his way up in the ranks, held the coats while of the men and women he got into an uproar as they stoned Stephen. The first martyr. And the Lord Jesus used these women, or God also in the Old Testament, used women in such in, in high esteem. It wasn't thought of to do things like that in those days. It was not thought of to do things like that in those days. And yet the Lord used women. The Lord used St. Paul. The Lord Jesus used him later to go and carry out the ministry to us, the Gentiles, non-Jewish people. The Lord Jesus was just a, was a fascinating and wonderful man, but he wasn't what the people expected. And we just talked about one of the reasons why was because of his, uh, because of his equality of, of equality of women and because of the way he treated women. Okay? That was one of the reasons why he really wasn't what they expected, especially in a society that didn't treat women at all with respect or any type of equality. Okay? The Jews, basically, the Jewish people, they turned their back on the Lord Jesus. They turned their back on him. His own people wanted nothing to do with him, even so much where they basically had him crucified because they hated him so much. 
Lord Jesus, he wasn't an educated man. I mean, we talked about it earlier, right? I, I mentioned earlier how the Lord Jesus basically was born in a manger. It wasn't, he wasn't born in Herod's court. He wasn't born a king, even though he is the king of kings, emperor of emperors. The Lord Jesus was born in a manger. And, and you know, our, our depiction of this nice, wonderful little scene in the manger that we have, we put up every year in our, our displays for Christmas and so on and so forth, and our little displays of the manger, it wasn't all that nice. <laughs> it wasn't that nice. I mean, can you ima imagine, imagine this, this, this little hole, this little stable type of thing that housed animals in, you know, in Jerusalem or, you know, in Bethlehem. Imagine that. Bugs galore, lice, all kind of ant rats and infestations in there. Only way for the Lord Jesus to even lay himself was to basically was they laid him in a manger, which basically was a little trough for animals, right? Put hay in there, which was probably infested with who knows what. And here's poor Mary giving birth in these in this environment. And I'm sorry. Some people might try to say, well, you know what? The Lord Jesus was the Lord Jesus. Even as a baby, he probably had command over the bugs, and they, probably, they all probably left. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. So here's the Lord Jesus, who basically was born in a manger, who was the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Emperor of Emperors. And he was born in this lowly manger. Couldn't even find a little house for him to even be born in, or any place to stay. Wasn't even born in, the, in, the, in Herod's castle, in his palace. Didn't have all the... I mean, he didn't even have all the wonderful... Uh, all the wonderful, you know, gifts and things that, like, Moses even had... As Moses grew up his first 40 years of his life in, in Egypt and as, as the Pharaoh's son. Moses grew up as a prince. Lord Jesus had none of that. For most of the Lord Jesus' life, really, again, as we mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, he was not an educated man. Lord Jesus didn't have these great, wonderful uh, uh, educational uh, diplomas hanging from his, you know, little, what do they call them, Cypress little scrolls, right? That he was able to open up his saw and say, hey, look at me. None of that. None of that. The Lord Jesus, however had authority when he talked, as they say. When he was 12 years old, you might remember the story, he goes to the temple, he's preaching to the uh, to the leaders there, and, and they find him so amazing that they, 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 they say to him, to his parents, that he teaches with authority. They say, who is this person, this kid? Who is this man? Even when he became older in his, in his ministry, when he started at the age of 30 till about 33, for three years in his ministry, this man speaks with authority. But yet, again, the Lord Jesus was really wasn't educated. And that bothered people. The Lord Jesus, again, basically hung around and picked ordinary men and women and who he hung out with. He hung out with sinners. The Lord Jesus did things that people just didn't realize and he and did that didn't really happen in that day. Can you remember the story of the woman, the, the harlot? You know, I think some people actually kind of confuse her with Mary Magdalene. They think they, they, because it kind of happened on the same time in Scripture, and I think they confused her. I don't think Mary Magdalene was, was a prostitute in the story. Okay, first of all. But we have a story of this prostitute in the Bible, if you might remember, where she was going to be stoned for prostitution. And all these men were ready to stone her, and the Lord Jesus showed up on the scene. What's going on? They told him what happened. The Lord Jesus said, okay, so those of you who have the first, who has the um, no sin, you be the first to throw the stone at her. And they all basically, after a while, turn away and leave, because none of them, they all realize they all have sin. But the Lord Jesus did something, so when the time came, that here was the Lord Jesus, who was the only one without sin that could have been the one to throw the stone, and yet he did not. He let her go and said, sin no more. And I believe she probably became one of his biggest followers. I believe that. And I'm sure that within the within the crowd, I'm sure even with, even within his twelve, I'm sure there must have been talking going amongst them of saying that well, here he is, that you know he's the son of God, or he says he is son of man, and yet he lets her go. We talked earlier about Matthew. 
Matthew, tax collector. I'm sure that man. I'm sure that I'm sure, like I said, that Simon the Zealot probably wasn't too thrilled, or maybe even others weren't thrilled about it. But here was Matthew, a tax collector, goes to Matthew's house. Lord Jesus goes to Matthew's house to eat with Matthew and his friends, and all people are saying to him, "Look at this guy. He talks about being a son of man. He talks about he's this great, wonderful preacher and teacher." And yet here he is, and he's, he's eating with, with, the, with the, the worst of the worst scum of the earth. And of course, the Lord Jesus tells them, well, I sit for those who need me, not for those who don't. When someone is ill, don't they call a doctor? The Lord Jesus did things differently. And he didn't do things of that day that would have sold or or would have or what was kind of talked about or discussed in the in the Old Testament writings. For instance, we talked about Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot, here's a man who basically hated the Roman Empire, hated the Rome. I mean, they believed that their that was their land. They believed that it belonged to them and the Romans had Roman Romans had no say. Rome had no say. The emperor had no say in any of it. And how dare they? So, many of the Jewish people, and one of the main reasons too, while speaking about the Lord Jesus might not have been the greatest thing, or, or actually maybe him being the, the center of everything, and proving that the Bible is real, was because of the fact that the Lord Jesus was expected to overthrow the Roman Empire. They expected that. Their version of the, of the Messiah to come, the, the Jewish people's version of the Messiah, Messiah to come, was someone that was going to reestablish their kingdom in that area, was going to reestablish the Jews back where they belonged, was going to put the promise back on them as God's promise that they would be over everything. Okay? So the Lord Jesus comes on the scene, and now, you know, he's basically, you know, 30 years goes by, now he starts just preaching his teaching, and he's really not exactly what they wanted. As I mentioned to you earlier, more and more as people realize that he really wasn't what we thought he was going to be, this guy really isn't going to be the one that's going to overthrow the Rome, the, uh, overthrow the Romans. He really isn't going to be the one that's going to do what we thought he was going to do. Many of them started to leave and started to, started to leave him. The Lord Jesus was not what they expected. He was not the hero they expected that was going to come. As a matter of fact, he taught a love. You might even remember that he, he even taught the opposite of what Simon the Zealot believed in. Right? Remember the time, remember the time when somebody's trying to capture him and said, Hey, Jesus, Master, tell us this. We're supposed to pay taxes to the Rome. To, to the Jew, to the Rome, to Rome, to Caesar. Should we be doing that? And what does Lord Jesus say? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God. Basically, the bottom line is Lord Jesus is saying to them, pay your taxes and do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine how that must have just went up? Poor Simon Zealot, he must have been, what? <laughs> I wonder if he was even there for the conversation. Can you imagine what he must have thought? Or what others thought at that time? What? Paid pay the taxes to, to Caesar? The Lord Jesus was not the man they expected. But yet, he was the central focus of this book. He was the central focus of all the writings in this book. And he was the central focus of the fact that even the, the four Gospels, four whole Gospels, and also the epistles, though of that of the other of like Peter and James, and we have Saint Paul's epistles in here to the churches, all focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And one other thing about the Lord Jesus Christ too, as well, that he died the death of a criminal, and he was crucified with such men. The Lord Jesus died a criminal. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst. As a matter of fact, you might remember that when the Lord Jesus was was going to be um, was being crucified, you know that he took the place of of, of another zealot. You want to say right? Took his place. 
and Barnabas, right, took his place, and he basically ended up um, um, dying that criminal's death. He died that criminal's death. And it's it's amazing when you think about it. If you think about it like this, think about this. If you're going to write something about someone, if you're going to write a story about someone, you're going to make them your central person, you don't, you don't basically have them dying as a criminal. You don't basically put them dying as the worst way of death that you can find that's reserved for the worst of the worst. And hang that, and then talk about that person was also hung up with other criminals, two other such men. Well, they weren't such men as Lord Jesus, don't get me wrong when I say that, but two other so-called such men as Jesus, as the Lord Jesus was. I'm saying Barnabas, I'm sorry, I'm saying, forgive me earlier, I'm, I'm saying Barnabas, I meant Barabbas, sorry, Barabbas, forgive me for that. <laughs> Barabbas was the other, uh, was, was the criminal that took the place, that Jesus took his place. Barabbas was one of the worst of the worst. He was a zealot who murdered, who was a thief, who who just had no regard to, to murdering anyone uh, that was that was not Jewish. Uh, he was a, he was a pure zealot in the sense. And Barnabas, uh, Barabbas, excuse me, I'm saying Barabbas. Barabbas uh, basically was let go, and the Lord Jesus took his place. Sorry, I, I digress next. I want to get the name right, Barabbas. But again, here you are, the Lord Jesus dying that way. If you're going to write something about somebody. You might not want to finish your story about writing the fact that he died as a criminal on the cross. And then, basically, have an elaborate story afterwards that this person that died a criminal on the cross later on was crucified. Excuse me, later on was born, was risen from the dead. And that's the other thing, really, for me, that really makes the Bible so real to me, is the fact that after the Lord Jesus died and he was risen from the dead, it was t- it's talked about in here how he was risen from the dead. And even to this day, to this day the Jewish people still say, because it was they were told to say it, and even to this day, they still believe and say that the Bible, that his body was stolen. That he was not the Messiah, that he is not the Messiah, and that his body was stolen. And that all that was made up by the apostles, it was all made up by his group of people to make him larger than what he was, to make him more than what he actually was. But the bottom line is here, is that you're not going to write something about someone and, and focus your whole book on a person that was totally not what you thought he was. And that died in a way that you would never have expected to die, died as a criminal, and then was risen from the dead, and you make it this elaborate story that he was risen from the dead. I mean, why would you write something like that if it wasn't true? Why would you? So many people say to me, "Well, it's all such fairy tale. Yeah, he really rose from the dead." Then why would they write it? Then why would they wrote? Why would they write it then? I always tell people all the time when people say to me, "Well, it's such a fairy tale." You believe in fairy tales. You believe that this Jesus really, really died or re- and was risen from the dead. I mean, just such fairy tale, gotten garbage, fiction, right? And I tell people, you're 100% right. Why would they write that? Why would they? Why would they put that in a book? Why would they make the whole central book about this man on such crazy claims? And I put a big question mark to all of you. Question mark. Why would they do that? And for this reason, and for all the reasons that I've talked about in, 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 in this series, this is why I believe that the Bible is real. Because as someone once said to me, Matt, that's just all this stuff in the Bible, all this stuff with the Lord Jesus, all everything in here, it's just too good to believe. It's just too good to believe. And I say, yeah, but it's also just too good not to believe, isn't it? It's just too good not to believe. All the stuff in here seems like it's just a work of fiction. Seems like it's just some fairy tale book that you go to the bookstore and you pick up and you look in the fiction section. Here, there it is. It's in fiction. And yet it's not it's not fiction. And yet it's real. It's non-fiction, and yet this is real. It's all real. All fact. All truth. The Lord Jesus 
and all the men and women in the Bible that were used in ways that we would never expect them to write about. Stories that we never would expect to hear about other people, especially in other really cool novels and things like that. You know, you talk about novels, for instance, like you look at like novels like, you know, Frankenstein or Dracula, right? You look at those novels, right? And you look at them. And those books are all about, you know, uh, 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 an evil being. And it talks about all their, all that negativity of them, of the evilness and of all that. And really no good in there, right? But it talks about all the... I mean, that is what you call, that's a book of nonfiction. That, that's a book of fiction, right? It's a story about an evil person that you write about. And I understand that. You understand that. But if you're trying to get people to believe in somebody or something... And, un- and have a bigger understanding of who they are. You write. You don't write about the negative things about them. You write about the positive, and you stick to the positive only. I think it is. I think it is. Book writing one on one. I'm I'm not an author, so I don't know. But I'm I'm assuming book writing one on one is if you you stick to one topic. It's either it's either good or it's negative. If you're writing something about a horrible person, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, or Frankenstein and Dracula, you stick into all the negatives and all the evil they are right to the end until you kill them off. And you're like, okay, I, I get it. Yep, yep, kill them off. I get it. I get why they did it. But then here you have a book about a bunch of people that, bunch of men and women, and even the central character in the book, the Lord Jesus, all in this book. A, a, you know, they stick to both talking about. The things that they do that you just really don't believe, the things that are negative about them, and then it talks about the positive, yes. But why would you include the negative? Why? Why? Why would you include in here? Why would you even include in here that the Lord Jesus was died as a criminal? Well, now we know why. I mean, obviously we know why. We we understand why he's it's in here. Okay? We understand that. We understand that Lord Jesus had to, that was part of it, that he had to die for our sins. We get all that. But the authors could have very easily just kind of skipped over all that and been like, okay, well, he died and then he was risen and then got to the really good stuff. Or, as I mentioned to you, you know, we could have talked about, you know, earlier Moses. You know, Moses. What a life Moses had, right? Pretty cool. Was born sent down the river by his mom so he wouldn't be killed, found by the Pharaoh's daughter, raised 40 years of his life as, as, a, as a prince. But then Moses goes wrong, kills someone, flees for 40 years, becomes a shepherd, uh, taking care of his father-in-law's flock. And then and then, when he's like 80 years old, God comes to him in the burning bush, okay, now it's time for you to go do what you got to do. And for another 40 years, you know, we all know the story of all that, wandering the desert until Moses dies. Right? But why couldn't why did we do why do we have to focus on that forty years you know that part where he killed someone, and he just became a, you know a lowly shepherd and basically forty years was doing nothing with his life. Why did why would we have to focus on that? Why couldn't we just said Moses did this? Moses was a prince. Moses saw that his people was being hurt. Moses became the hero of his people. He went and got them free, and then he basically um, and then they found wonderfulness. They found the wonderful uh, land of fruit and honey and, and 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 milk and honey. And they end of story. But instead, we talk about all the frailties and all the things that happened with Moses and the, and the Israelites. Why couldn't we talk about, um, again, King David? Why couldn't we talk about the good things of King David? The good stuff. King David was a great king. King David was a, precious, was a, was a great king. He succeeded King Saul, who was also a great king. And he did all this wonderful stuff. He, all these battles. He was a man of God, a, a man of the Lord's own heart. And King David went and he became, he lived his life as a great king, never had any problems, never had any worries, and he, and that was it. But, but yet we had to talk about his frailties and his negativities, same as King Saul and what happened to him. You know? And even King David's son, which I didn't talk about, but Solomon, King Solomon, one of the greatest kings of all kings, it says in the, in the, in the Bible. One of the greatest, smart man, one of the, one of the wisest of kings, richest of all kings. But even but even Solomon, King David's son, even Solomon, turned away from God as he met other women from other countries. Turned away from God until the very end when he was, when he came back to the Lord again. But for the longest time, Saul also turned from God. Why bring that up, Solomon? Excuse me, Solomon. Why bring that up? Why even talk about it? Why did we just skip all that? And we could have made this this thing a lot shorter, a lot less complicated for people, right? But that wasn't the case.
<laughs> that wasn't the case. God, I feel that the reason why God includes all these men and women, and I'm going to say it again, is because he is proving a point here that the Bible is real and what he says in there is real because he didn't hide anything from us. He w it was transparent from the beginning to the end that the Bible was transparent. The Bible is transparent. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed this last section of the why I believe the Bible is real, using the apostles and the Lord Jesus as a reason for that. I hope that you just you understand the reason why I've done that is to show, again, yeah, you don't write about the negative things about someone if you're trying to write a bestseller. And if you're trying to prove that the if something is real and not and that something is is not fiction, then you wouldn't really write about these people and about these things, okay? And this is the reason why I believe the Bible is real, because of that. That is the inspired word of God. That regardless of anybody says to me that this book is a book of, of is a book of fiction or this is a, is a fairy tale is a bunch of garbage. I don't believe that because you wouldn't write the stuff that's in here if it was. You just wouldn't. You wouldn't. And there are so many other reasons that we can show you that this book is real. But I've, I, as I have mentioned to those of you, my spiritual calling isn't debate. My spiritual calling isn't to debate someone about what's real and what's not real. My spiritual calling, I believe, is is, is to be simple and easy-minded. <laughs> Simple-minded, I guess you can say, uh, on, these, on these topics. And I try to basically get it as easy as I can for people to understand that this is why I believe in what I believe in, in a very easy manner. I'll leave the debating up to the big theologians. I'll leave all that up to them. They can debate it all. All the other little nuances, the little the Dead Sea Scrolls reasons, the, the reasons why the King James Bible is better than this one and that one. I'll leave all to them. But I hope that I've helped some of you, I hope, to maybe want to be curious, to maybe want to read the Bible a little bit more, maybe want to read more about it. But with that being said, before we get off here, we are going to be starting a new series next week on God's promises. God's promises. And we're going to start that new series, like I said, next week, next Sunday. And we're going to go over the different promises of God, the things that God promises in the Bible. And understand that when God makes a promise like that, he keeps those promises. Okay, he keeps those promises. All right. So we're going to start a new series on God's promises. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I, I hope, dear Father, that in some way, that you've used me today, Lord, to reach someone. I hope, Lord, that I hope, Father, that you've used me to teach someone something. I pray. Today, Lord, again, we pray for those that are being affected by Hurricane Henry. Please watch families out there. Keep them safe. Protect them, Lord, we pray. Lord, please watch over our little family here on this podcast that listen to us, Lord. Please, Lord, keep us protected and safe. And any other prayers or thoughts or loneliness that people have out there, Lord, please, Lord, give them your comfort and your love and your understanding, I pray, Lord. Please, please. And I pray today, Lord, in all things, in all things that are you, and all that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ, to the central person of the Bible, Lord, that you use, Lord, to show, Lord, that the Bible is real because using some of the Lord that was not what the people expected. The Lord Jesus Christ being what they didn't expect and yet turning out to be all we needed and all we ever need <laughs> was the unexpected that came into our lives that we never, never thought we would have needed but we need no matter what. And I thank you for that, Heavenly Lord. Today we live, pray, Lord, for all people, Lord, in your name, in Jesus Christ's wonderful, loving, and precious name, Lord, in Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, folks, thank you. We're out of time. I'm, 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 again, I get back into this again. Promises of God next week. And we pray to all of you today, Lord, I say thank you to all of you out there. Have a wonderful week, blessed week. Reverend Matt signing off.